we are starting a new series, and I just want to introduce this series by just sharing a story with you guys. Uh, as a lot of us in this room uh, grew up uh, quite privileged, uh, while as a family we uh, went through big seasons of uh, not having a lot, uh, we had the privilege of uh, having enough uh, to have a lady that would stay with us on the property uh, to help uh, my mom and dad with a lot of uh, chores around the house, like washing and cooking, and, and just because both my parents had to work and, and things like that. So it was really helpful for us to uh, have someone that my parents employed uh, to help with all the things around the house. She worked with us for uh, a number of years, uh, moved like three different cities with us, uh, really was that kind of uh, help and support to us as a family. We became aware, uh, we somehow, uh, the story was uh, there was a fire in her uh, uh, flat on our property, and in kind of rushing in and getting stuff out from burning, uh, we found out that she had two identity documents. And uh, it was one with a different age, uh, which she was using with her employment contract with us, and one with a significantly older age, which she was drawing a government pension from. And uh, just in confronting that and in discussions with her, we realized, you know, there's a whole bunch of illegal stuff going on there. And in confronting her and, and dealing with that, uh, it was decided best that, um, and, and she acknowledged that she's actually, uh, her true age is the older one, and that she would then go on to proper full retirement. In uh, transitioning that, uh, we uh, bought her a little house, and she decided where she wanted to live. Uh, so we bought her a wooden house and, and built that for her. And it got to her last day with us. And we were all out as a family just with stuff. It was like a, a midday, kind of end of the month. And we got home, and uh, most of our possessions were gone. Uh, she had decided that uh, she was going to help herself to a number of things in the house. But because we knew where she lived, because we had kind of built her a house and transitioned her, uh, Julie, my dad, and I climbed into the car, uh, drove to where we had built her a house, and the house was gone. Uh, because it was wooden, she deconstructed it with some friends and moved, and uh, we have yet to be able to uh, track her down and find her since. Yes, it's a, you know, quite, quite an intense story. I wonder if you can identify with this. But now imagine this part of the story. Uh, this hasn't happened, but imagine... I meet you, and uh, you, we talking, and you go, oh, you know, I'm just so fortunate. Uh, I found someone who we've been able to employ to help us as a family. This woman is just so amazing. Uh, she takes care of our kids. Uh, she's just a, the biggest blessing to us and support. Uh, you must come and meet her. And I come over to your house, and it is the very woman who robbed from my family. How do you think that uh, kind of conversation or the awkwardness of that meeting and kind of gathering would go? Reckon it would be pretty tense. The sermon series that we're kind of embarking on at the moment uh, kind of has some similarities with that story. Why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles uh, to the page of Philemon. It's a book of the Bible that is only one page. If you find Hebrews, it's just before that. Uh, so go ahead and find it. I'm going to give you a little bit of context to what is going on in this very important New Testament letter written by who we call the Apostle Paul. Guy who got radically saved, 
persecuted Christians, got saved, ended up uh, taking the gospel to his whole generation uh, across the known world at the time, writing many letters of encouragement, some to churches, but some to individuals. And this is one of those letters written to an individual. And the individual that this was written to, uh, now you might hear Steve call this person Philemon. Uh, You might know him as Philemon. I call him Philemon. And uh, we're just going to be bouncing between Philemon and Philemon. It is the same person. Uh, And he wrote this letter to Philemon. Philemon's story is very interesting because Paul traveled and he would spend years and years in uh, different places where he would establish the gospel, preach it, see many people uh, come to faith in Jesus. He would then raise up elders and establish leadership in churches, and then he would move on to another place. It seems that while he was uh, preaching the gospel in a town of Ephesus, uh, a town uh, a few kilometers away, a man by the name of Philemon got saved came to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, He was a very influential man. Uh, He had uh, quite a lot of money. And in that, he just started to use his wealth, his influence, and his resources for the kingdom and even had a church meeting in his home, became a servant of the gospel. And uh, Paul uh, just uh, often, and in this letter, which we will read, Paul acknowledges his contribution and his support in his personal ministry and the ministry uh, in in the town and to the kingdom. Now, when you hear slave, uh, don't think modern day slavery is slightly different in those times, still a slave. Uh, Philemon, with his wealth, had a number of slaves. One of his slaves was by the name, went by the name of Onesimus. And it just seems that Onesimus stole money from Philemon. That's we just read from the text, and we presume uh, that is what happened. He stole from Philemon and went on the run. And he made it all the way to Rome. It's a long way to travel. And just providentially, somehow, no one knows how this happened. Uh, People just go, it was just the providence of God. Somehow, this runaway slave came into contact with Paul, who was in Rome under house arrest. Paul led Anismus to the Lord. Uh, He became a follower of Jesus Christ. And him and Paul became good friends. And Onesimus ended up serving Paul and becoming a servant of the gospel and and being a support to Paul while he was under house arrest in Rome. And so here you've got Paul who's friends with Onesimus, who uh, there was an offense with uh, Philemon. He left his house, went on the run, and Paul knows both of these two people. Again, just like crazy, uh, one of those like seven degrees of separation. Somehow this just all kind of came together. But because Paul and his faith really values reconciliation, Paul writes a letter and he writes to Philemon. And what he is working towards is a reconciliation between these two men. There was a significant offense that caused uh, one to run away. He stole from and left. And there needed to be restoration. And Paul fought for and encouraged and and pursued uh, a repair of the relationship. And he believes, and we believe, and what we're going to be uh, spending the next four weeks on is uh, relationships. 
and especially on how to deal with when there has been uh, what we're calling in this series relation slips. Because every single one of us, I'm sure, if not right now, but in the past, has had a breakdown in some relationship or another. And maybe that relationship has caused pain. Maybe there was genuine offense, a real hurt. And there's been a breakdown. Maybe you were the cause. Uh, maybe it was someone else was the cause. But there was pain in, uh, in that relationship. It broke down. That is something that we all go through. It might be uh, just someone in your family. It could be a marriage, a parent, a sibling, a child. And the relationship right now with that person is tough. Maybe there's an open wound because of that relationship. Maybe it is your friendship circle. That just somebody has done something and there is pain. Maybe there's anger. Maybe you're not speaking. Giving some people the silent treatment, being quite passive aggressive to them because of what they have done to you. Maybe it is a breakup that has ended painfully. Friends at school, maybe a colleague at work is just making life incredibly difficult for you. Whatever it is, you're in a situation where you just don't want to forgive or you're not being given forgiveness. But this is something that we all experience, being human. Uh, we have broken relationships. But Paul fights for it. And uh, we want you to fight for it as well. And we're going to be arming ourselves very practically with how do we deal uh, when a relationship moves to a relation slip and there's a breakdown for whatever reason in the relationship and how do we move towards that being uh, a healed, reconciled relationship. So hopefully by this time you have found uh, Philemon, uh, the page of Philemon, uh, so I'm just going to quickly divert on a story. I used to run a Bible study for some high schoolers. And uh, one kid uh, who was coming had a, a very wealthy father who just was desperate for his son to get into the Bible and memorize Scripture. So he gave his son uh, this crazy challenge of going, if you could memorize a book of the Bible, I will buy you a car. And uh, he was 16 and his dad was dead serious. He had the means to do it. And he came to Bible study and he was like, my dad's given me this impossible task. It's like, uh-uh, your dad obviously doesn't know about the book of Philemon. <laughs> Memorize that, my man, and you've got yourself a car. And the guy just couldn't apply his mind to it, and he really uh, helped him out as much as I could. It was just one page in your Bible, uh, but just because it's short doesn't mean it doesn't come with some significant power and some God-inspired truth for us today. So I'm going to read from verse 1 and just track with me. Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus, Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, Arapus, uh, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ, thanksgiving and prayer. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement. 
because you, brother, have refreshed the heart of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is, as, it is I, or none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Anismus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I'd not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor uh, you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was so that, he might, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both now as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. You can see there was a fence done. And here Paul is fighting, uh, very much so, for them to be reconciled. Just a change has happened in this guy. No longer a slave and becoming even more important to Philemon. That as a brother of Christ. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be dealing uh, with offenses done to us. From next week, we're going to be dealing with very genuine offenses. But tonight, we're going to kind of look at kind of maybe either side of a genuine offense. Because what we can fall into uh, are, are, are two traps. The one is where we become hyper-offensive or hyper-offended by everything. And culture kind of today does that. It kind of has raised uh, the bar that uh, being offended is like the ultimate sin. And then on the other side is we just have no idea how to even talk to anybody about anything. So we just kind of keep our mouths closed and kind of behavior and, and, and wrongful, sinful behavior just kind of reigns unchecked around us. And so kind of to kind of orientate us about dealing with those kinds of offenses tonight, uh, I want you to have a look at this video. Life-changing results since I learned how to get offended. Now when people don't see things the way that I see them, I just get offended. And it teaches them how not to see things from their point of view. I'm offended that you would think you have the right to post that to your Facebook account. People have every right to see things from their perspective, as long as their perspective is the same as my perspective. Here's a water for you. I don't drink out of plastic. Why would you not know that? People who don't get offended are insecure, take no self-responsibility, and have no sense of purpose in life. I pray for them. JP, I don't even know why you're offended. I'm offended that you don't know how you offended me. JP, I wanted to uh, thank you and show my gift of appreciation by giving you my book because I know you, you need it, right? You're just assuming that I know how to read? There's three easy steps to getting offended by anything. Step one, listen to what someone says and then selflessly make it all about you by taking it personally. 
Even if it has nothing to do with you. I really want you to have a great life. You're assuming my life isn't good enough the way it is? How dare you? Step two, you want to create a large amount of tension inside your body. You really want to concentrate on bringing the tension to your stomach, your chest, and your face. How are you doing today, JP? I'm offended that you would have to ask. Step three, now project outrage onto the other person. This will make it seem like you're getting rid of the tension inside your body, but it actually drives it down deeper inside you. And because it stays there, it'll make it even easier for you to get offended next time. I'm offended that you would wear that shirt. I'm actually a little offended by that. I'm offended that you're offended by that. Since I've learned how to get offended, I bring huge amounts of joy to everyone in my life. People feel like they're free to just be themselves when they're around me. I'm just happy I can make such a big difference in the world. I think she's a pretty attractive woman. I'm offended that you would think I'm attracted to women. Aren't you attracted to women? Yeah, but you have no right to just assume that. I'm offended that you don't have my new book yet. I'm offended that you just assume that I know how to read. I mean, how ridiculous is that, right? How many of you would consider yourself uh, pretty woke? A couple of hands going up. Uh, woke. Woke. For those of you under the age of 25 will know what I'm uh, talking about. It's uh, grammatically incorrect. Uh, it's uh, relating to uh, this thing to be awake. Uh, woke. Uh, it's uh, this thing that you're just aware of, kind of all the things uh, that you need to be sensitive of uh, around you, just kind of being aware of like uh, racial constructs and kind of gender inequality and those kinds of things, and uh, you kind of speak out uh, against uh, some of those things. While I agree with becoming aware, uh, so much of that behavior is seen in, in this offense thing, is that while you're becoming aware of issues, everybody just becomes offended. And so instead of maybe being proactive and engaging, everybody kind of just is reacting with this word, I am offended. And that really is a word that defines so much of society today. The common section in any social media space. Uh, I mean... Look, do yourself a laugh. If you find this video on YouTube, just read the comment section, and you're actually, it's even funnier than this video. But news articles, blog posts, uh, Twitter posts, uh, the amount of uh, offense that is taken around the world because we just love to take offense at everything. And what is happening is as people, we are getting more and more offended uh, far quicker than ever before. And this is something that is really permeating the church as well. That our behavior as believers is that of taking offense. And somehow there's this kind of thought pattern that uh, the more mature I am as a person and a believer, uh, the more I'm able to criticize and not take criticism from other people. And I love what it says here in Proverbs 19 verse 11. It says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It's to his glory to overlook an offense. A man's wisdom gives him patience. 
It's to his glory to overlook an offense. That in fact, scripture talks about the opposite. That the more mature we come as believers, the more patient we are with people around us, people who are different to us, people who irritate or irk us. And that in fact, uh, it is to our credit to overlook an offense, not post about something that offended us or let people know just how much we don't like them and offended by what they are saying or what they are doing. It is to a man's wisdom gives him patience and it's to his glory to overlook an offense. In fact, the wiser you are, the longer your fuse gets, the more capacity that you have for patience. It's important to think about Jesus. Because when we look at the life of Jesus, there's a couple of things we know about him. We know that he was unfairly arrested. That he was given an unfair trial. That he was publicly beaten unfairly. He was mocked. He was abused. And he not once opened his mouth. He didn't utter abuse or he didn't get offended by anything that was done to him. He kept his mouth quiet. That was an incredible offense. Yet we as believers jump to that statement and say, I'm offended and get offended so quickly. And we need to kind of think that through by going, surely that's not how we should be acting and engaging with society. Not talking about a genuine offense. That is something different. And we are going to, over the, the course of the series, uh, you kind of talk through what do we do with a genuine offense done to us? We're not talking about that tonight. We use this phrase called sunburn. It's getting a little bit warmer and we are heading into summer and some of us uh, know the feeling of getting sunburnt. Right? If uh, you made the mistake of uh, not putting sunburn or, or suntan lotion on your back and then you have to put a shirt on after a long day in the sun, how uncomfortable is that shirt? Right, And then you kind of wade through a crowd, everybody bumping you, it hurts, and then you've got that one guy who doesn't know you got sunburned and just slaps you on the back, Craig, how's it going? And there's a pain all the way through your back and everybody bumps you and pokes you and right, that's a very uncomfortable space and everything hurts. That's the kind of behavior that we talk about with someone who is easily offended. They just have sunburn, not literal or physical sunburn. But a person can do nothing, and they just get offended. All the time, just get offended. But we need to kind of move past this as believers. We need to be uh, seeing things from a different perspective, because as Scripture says, uh, wisdom, maturity, is someone who has patience, is able to overlook an offense. And as believers, that's the kind of attitude and behavior uh, that we need to be having. All right, so we're going to go through some very practical things tonight. And I'd love it if you take notes, if you've already got the app, put it in your journal. But there's some things to think through, some questions we're going to ask of you to kind of help diagnose where you are at when it comes to taking offense. And the first question is this, if you're writing stuff down, is what is your tendency Right? What is your tendency? What we mean by this is, 
are you the kind of person that gets easily offended? Right? Is it your tendency to be offended by anything and everything? Do you have sunburn? Maybe you don't even know. Maybe you think this is just kind of normal behavior. Here's a place of risk. I want you to ask someone very close to you, a spouse, a boyfriend, uh, a, a girlfriend, friend, uh, do I get easily offended? All right? If they say yes, and you go, no, right, there we go. You've uh, kind of self-diagnosed right there, okay? Uh, maybe you find yourself criticizing things a lot. Maybe your tendency is to get offended uh, at people who get offended a lot. What is your tendency? Uh, community WhatsApp groups. How many of you are a part of community WhatsApp groups? How many times do people just get offended in community WhatsApp groups? Those are just like, man, and you, gotta, you just kind of have to be a part of at least like, Man, the community that I stay in, we've got like four community groups, one for safety. It's just, it is so bad. I don't post on there uh, anything at all because literally guys have WhatsApp guns and you just get shot to pieces with anything that you post there. Man, they are just so easily offended in WhatsApp groups. But this is a good start for us. And uh, something that we say a lot here at Riverside is... This is not something that God wants from you. This is something that God wants for you. At the heart of our faith, God wants us to mature. He wants us to grow more in our faith, be more like Jesus in everything that we do. And this is a wonderful opportunity for us to all grow as believers. Because if the tone of the world is everybody's just getting offended. Man, as scripture says, you know, it's to our own glory to overlook an offense. Man, there's a great opportunity for every single one of us here in the room tonight to just move forward in our maturity. And so to really think through this question, what is my tendency? Maybe you need to spend some time before the Lord in this. Ask the question, God, do I get easily offended? And something for you to repent on, to start engaging and trying to be different with the way that you engage with people at work at home with your friends. Next question. Is can you overlook this sin? Right? Can you overlook this sin? Again, not the serious stuff. We're going to get to that. Here's some sub-questions to ask on this. Again, trying to be very practical, giving us handles on this. So here's some questions that you can ask to kind of like, kind of help navigate and kind of go, is this serious? Is this not serious? Uh, sub question number one, uh, it's small and unimportant. So can I overlook the sin? It's small and unimportant. Right? Sometimes our emotions get in the way. Uh, offense can feel like the biggest thing in the world, but we can look back and go, ah, man. Kind of that, that wasn't really that serious. You know, five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, uh, most men in South Africa are publicly letting their offenses known at the poor guy refing the rugby game. Forget about it on Monday morning once we've cooled off a little bit. 
in the moment, it seems like the biggest deal in the world. And we rage at a friend whose parrot learns how to say the most awful things. He would whistle and then just rattle off a number of swear words because that's all he heard in his house. (laughs) Some things aren't that serious. Okay, so is it small and unimportant? Another thing to ask, is there other stuff going on in your world? We all have a red zone or a danger zone. What's your danger zone? Mine is 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. every day. That is my danger zone, right? It's this uh, really like hectic space where I've been away from my family all day and my young children love me to bits and I'm a blessed dad. And uh, they hear my car arrive at the gates I climb out and I can hear them. They just come running. And let me tell you, it is the best thing ever to see my kids sprinting towards my car up the driveway, but they are desperate for my time. And I've maybe been in meetings, I'm dealing with some stuff, I've been in front of a computer, I'm tired and I'm hangry. Supper's not ready. I need to eat something. And, and, and that little bit of time and trying to deal with my emotionally needy children and my very uh, dependent stomach, the, the, those two, they, they clash. And I'm often finding myself in the space where I'm harsh on my children. I, I find I'm more likely to shout at my kids and, and get upset at something they're doing in that space. And I don't know if, what your red zone looks like where you're more likely to be offended just because of what's going on in your own life. And so it's not them, and it's not their problem, it's my problem. And I've developed a habit of trying to eat a snack before I go home so that my blood sugar is a little bit more regulated. And I pray on my way home, going, Jesus, help me be calm. I know what I'm going into. And help me love my family well uh, before they've eaten and gone to bed. And that's how I kind of I deal with them in that space. But I wonder what your red zone is. And the more you're able to identify and become self-aware in that space, maybe you can become less offended by people around you when you're in that space. So there's stuff going on in your world. The next one is there's other stuff going on in their world. Inez and I, uh, a couple of years ago, went through, Inez is my wife, went through a very rough patch. It was really difficult. Uh, Aaron was two. Edie had just been born. She was a couple months old. Being a male, not very um, perceptive to a lot of things that go on in uh, the world around me. Uh, I was coming home filled with joy. Things were going really well in work and life. And I was just so excited about so many things. And I would kind of walk in uh, to the house and... Uh, say hello, and I'd be like, why are you so grumpy? You know, what's going on with you, and why isn't supper ready? Okay, I've grown a lot, okay? (laughs) I'm not who I was a couple years ago. And not knowing how to process and deal uh, with the negative vibes coming from my wife and actually being quite angry at her and actually being offended 
and how she's not interested in my day. To find out that she had been pooped on and vomited on multiple times. And she wasn't so excited to know what I was dealing with when all she had been dealing with was poo bums. And learning that I needed to give her some serious grace because there was stuff going on in her world. And when I became more aware of what she was journeying with, my grace grew and I was able to overlook a number of offenses. And I became a little bit wiser and the tension simmered down and I had to do a significant amount of repenting. Another thing to think through in this is a personal preference versus a real right or wrong. I've seen this in sports fanatics. You know, how can you be angry at someone who supports another soccer team that you actually pass like derogatory comments to them? Right, that's not an issue of right or wrong. That's not an ethical thing. That's preference. Right, okay, that's maybe a little bit of a superficial thing, but uh, I think it's very real because we give people a hard time. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this. Uh, you wearing your supporter T-shirt or cap and you walk past someone who says, did you lose a bet or something? Right, that they like, why else would you be wearing that in public? Okay, but we kind of pass like derogatory comments and we offend people or feel offended that uh, I was in Turkey uh, a couple years ago and I was uh, told by my tour guide, if you're going to buy merchandise of this uh, soccer club that is based in the city, don't go to that part of the city because you will be hurt. Guys can physically kill each other over a personal preference. Sometimes this plays out in our marriages, in our relationships that we kind of get upset and offended over personal preferences, how you like to spend time, uh, kind of foods you like to eat, things you like to do. Just bank this for, for when you get there one day or if you're there now. And as and I try and live by this value every single day, which is this. It's not going to come up on the slide. I just added this in this afternoon. Write this down. Seek your joy in the joy of your spouse. Seek your joy in the joy of your spouse. That just kind of gets rid of a number of things. You're not feeling hurt because your thing that you love wasn't valued. That what you value is your spouse's joy. And if both of you are kind of trying to live by that, offense kind of goes right out of uh, your marriage and your relationship because you're just seeking the joy of the other person. All right, so what happens if we don't learn to overlook an offense? If we can't kind of overcome these things and we never are able to mature in these things, look what Proverbs again says in Proverbs 17 verse 9. He who covers an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Can I say that again? He who covers an offense promotes love, but he who repeats the matter separates close friends. What happens when we learn to overlook an offense? We promote love. What happens if we don't? We separate close friends. Here we've all experienced this. How many of us have lost a friend? Okay, some of us have. It's a painful thing. All right, so on to our third thing. We've kind of 
spoken through some things tonight in, in kind of growing this. What is our tendency? We've spoken through that. Is this a sin uh, worth overlooking? And then the last one, uh, kind of practical handle for us tonight is, are you receiving light? Okay? Are you receiving light? And what we mean by this is the Bible often uses words that we don't like. And it's all about uh, feedback, right? None of us like criticism, but the Bible uses words like admonish, rebuke, correct. And none of us love doing that. I'm sure if I put up my hand, like, how many of us love being rebuked? Okay, none of us. I mean, none of us like criticism, it's always a painful thing when, when somebody kind of admonishes us or rebukes us or, or tells us we did something wrong. Or, you know, it's not a comfortable thing. We don't like doing that. And this is what we mean by receiving light, receiving those words, hard words that someone has for us. There's a Christian psychologist by the name of Dr. Henry Cloud. And a number of years ago at a um, leadership summit called the Global Leadership Summit, he delivered a fantastic um, kind of diagnostic on the book of Proverbs. And uh, he identified three types of people in the book of Proverbs, the wise, the foolish, and the evil. And basically, when you read through Proverbs and you read through this lens, there is really just one major distinguishing marker for someone who can be considered wise. And that's their ability to receive feedback. Amazing. That you can be considered wise by how you receive words spoken to you that fall into the category of rebuke, correction, or admonishing. It's the single biggest determining factor is how we respond to feedback. And so here's what the wise do, right? The wise receive light. The wise receive the words spoken to them. The wise don't go, but who are you? The wise can even take correction from a fool or from someone who is even evil. Here, Proverbs 9, verse 8 and 9. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. So here's what a fool does. Well, the fool receives light, receives criticism, will twist it, he'll adjust the light to suit themselves. So in other words, they're still gonna think you're always right or they're always right. So they'll kind of like hear you out and brush it off and never internalize it. They might kind of, well, here's what Proverbs 9 verse 7 says in light of this. They're going to try and minimize that. They're going to go, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. They're not going to hear what you have to say. They're not going to become wiser because of what has been said. They're going to kind of write it off or try and turn it on you or, or whatever. And then you have the wicked. And Proverbs often talks about how the wicked have destruction in their hearts. They're not just foolish, but they want to bring the whole place down. This is what it says in Proverbs 9 verse 7. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. And I don't know if you have experienced something like this where you have 
and being in an engagement with someone who is evil and the pain that that was brought to your life. I was involved in a very painful situation in a church that I was on staff at a number of years ago. It was uh, with another person who was on volunteer leadership, uh, ran the worship ministry of the church. The conflict got so bad that there was uh, required uh, outside uh, professional mediation to try and resolve what was happening in the situation. It got that ugly that even in a leadership meeting, uh, things were thrown. It got that bad. I was, again, uh, quite an immature leader at that time and uh, was very foolish uh, because uh, I was fighting back, uh, taking offense. And a, a, a much older, wiser pastor sat me down and said, Craig, let it go. I said, but my honor is being trashed. Uh, lies are being said about me. I said, Craig, trust the Lord and the truth will come out. Just trust the Lord, let it go. Let go what is being said of you. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done to, through the whole process, just go, okay. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, and, and take what was being said. That story, thankfully, had a very happy ending for me. The other party involved a whole bunch of other stuff came out. And that person left disgraced because of their own moral failings and, and character. And I got to experience this in first hand. What it means to be wise in dealing with people who offend you and, and what it means to kind of overlook and deal with those kinds of things. And very quickly to try and wrap up tonight. Because kind of we can have maybe two broken responses. And, and one is, um, maybe as a guy you've used this, well, I've got thick skin. And so somebody's like saying these things to you and the way you deal with it is going, I've got thick skin and it kind of just passes over us. It's not a helpful way of dealing with it because we can suppress emotions and kind of not be a healthy way of dealing with it. Another way is to kind of sweep it under the carpet, kind of ignore it. But the danger of that is you kind of bottle all these emotions and then we know that a bottle can only hold so much and then everything spills out and can, not, not great so again, I just want to suggest some stuff to us to kind of go over this again very briefly to wrap up tonight. The next time you're offended, the next time you're feeling wounded by something that someone's done or said, run this through in your mind and, and really pray this through this week to kind of lock this down. Ask yourself, what is your tendency? Then to go, can I overlook this sin? Is it small is it unimportant? Is there stuff going on in my life? Is there stuff going on in their life? Am I receiving light? Can I learn from this? This thing that someone said, is there truth to this? Yes, it hurts. I'm, I'm hurting because of what has been said, but can I grow through this? So again, this is something that God wants for us, not from this. Is this a process where I can mature as a believer? And then to add two more things is one, do this with God. Again, because we can get hurt in this process, take this stuff to God. God, what are you saying to me? And this person spoke these words to me. God, is this true? 
God, transform me. Make me more like your son through this. Mature me. And do this with others. Community is so, so important. And so important for us to grow in community. Say, guys, I'm battling with this. Like, encourage me, strengthen me. Jesus told his disciples, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The tone of the world is offense, it's anger, severing relationships, it's cutting people out. It's cold shoulder, it's passive aggressive. And we don't have a healthy, robust way of dealing with how we speak to each other with words of criticism. We don't receive it well, we don't give it well. And man, if we are able to eliminate that out of our lives as a church, man, how much better are we going to be at loving one another and the world knowing that we are disciples of Jesus? If you live like this with your friendship group where there aren't believers, they're going to see that Jesus is real. Well, the way that you deal and love one another with the words that you speak to each other, how you forgive and overlook offenses. Same place in, same as in your workplace and same as in your homes. It's so important for us to deal well with overlooking offenses and dealing with criticism and receiving words spoken to us. Maybe you're in a place right now where you're sitting with a wound in your heart. Maybe there is that severed relationship that we mentioned, this tension because of offense. Maybe you've got some repenting to do. Maybe you need to have some conversations and make things right with some people. There's a lot at stake for us as a community. There really is. Reconciliation is so important because it is rooted in the cross. Remember, while we were still Christ's enemies, he died for us. Jesus overlooked the offense of sin because all sin is to God and God alone. And he overlooked every single one of our offenses to him and forgave us while we were still his enemies. That's at the heart of our faith, which is why it's so important for us to mature in this area. While we need to pursue reconciliation with people, while we need to learn how to overlook offense and how to do criticism well as believers. Again, because this is how all men will know that you are my disciples, but how you love one another. So let's make this commitment during the series. We're going to become really good at dealing with offenses. Jesus, thank you that you are God, our Savior. I want to thank you that we have been reconciled to you, God, through the saving work of Jesus who died while we were still enemies. Jesus, we know that all sin is first sin to you and you alone. And we've sinned really to, against no one else but you. And through Jesus, you have overlooked all our offenses. So God, won't you help us become really good at dealing with issues of offense? That we would pursue reconciliation with the same intent that you pursued reconciliation with us, Jesus. That in pursuing reconciliation, you laid down your life for us. And Jesus, we would learn to forgive as believers. That we would learn to overcome hurts. Jesus, we'd just be so good at receiving light. 
Jesus, for all of us here, that you would use this moment and these moments over the next few weeks to move us to a place of greater maturity in our walk with you. Jesus, for those who already are aware of so much pain and hurts in their lives, that Holy Spirit, you would start moving them to a place of healing. And we trust you for an incredible work in our lives over the next few weeks. In your holy name, amen.